Hey there! Did you know Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower-than-low prices? And when you download the Kroger app, you'll enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. And don't forget fuel points to help you save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. Want to save even more? With a Boost membership, you'll get double fuel points and free delivery. So shop and save big at Kroger today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Open question for the January 18th edition of the Just Basketball Show. Chris Manning, Jared Goff scored the Detroit Lions' first playoff win in millennium. This weekend in the NFL, who is the Jared Goff of the NBA? Somebody that is due for a new home, a new situation, a reset on their career that can rise from the ashes of that and deliver once again. Who is the NBA's Jared Goff? I had one problem answering this question, and it is that I think in the NBA, we undervalue simple playoff wins we demand titles or busts like if you go and you win a you get your team's first playoff run in a long time i don't think you get the love that and and under people understand maybe how hard it is to do some of that stuff that said i think it's donovan mitchell Hmm. like i think it has to be someone who's really good and someone who has untapped potential and just needs the different, maybe just needs the right situation, whether it's ends up being in Cleveland or whether it's somewhere else to just actually manifest the best version of himself and drive some kind of playoff run. Trey Young was my other thought. Yeah, I would say to answer your first part, it's not a one-to-one because winning one playoff game in the NBA kind of is meaningless. So, it's like a series win would be the equivalent. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I think we value that pretty pretty solidly. But I hear your point. Mine would be it gets you like a, Donovan. It gets you like a year of credence. And then it tells you, okay, you need to now make the conference finals or this doesn't matter. Like that's, that's I guess, kind of what I mean. And maybe that happens in the NFL too. But Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Jared Goff's going to get celebrated if we're winning one single playoff game next year, if that's all that he does. So we'll see how that all pans out. But Donovan came to mind for me. Damian Lillard came to mind for me, but I think he's too good for this question, mm-hmm. and he's already made a conference finals in his career. The other one, and it speaks to the point you were making, a similar franchise in the NBA side to the Lions would be Domantas Sabonis with the Kings. Mm-hmm. Sort of a guy who was just thought of as pretty mediocre, kind of found a, a, a second life for his career in Sacramento and has blossomed and and hit a a ceiling we didn't expect and obviously led Sacramento to the postseason. We'll talk about them later on in the show, but they have to get that series win we were just talking about, I think, to to really get it done. But yeah, Donovan, he is sort of at exactly that point. He is exactly the caliber, nobody's idea of an elite MVP caliber guy, but also 
kind of good enough that there's expectations. I think that's the best answer. All right, let's get to Pascal Siakam trade reaction, Sixers Nuggets game reaction, and our weekly Waving the Flag segment featuring those Sacramento Kings and the Orlando Magic. It is the Just Basketball Show. Welcome in to the January 18th edition of the Just Basketball Show. I am Brendan Clean. That over there is Chris Manning. If you're finding us for the first time, hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We are free everywhere, including YouTube. If you are listening, give us five stars on your favorite podcast app. If you are on YouTube, hit that bell down below. Get a notification when a show goes up. Want to remind you to check out Thrive Fantasy. Before we get started, Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with the code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Chris and our guy Colby Olson are doing daily TikToks about their favorite props to get you started, to get you cooking over at Thrive. So check us out at Just B-Ball Fans on TikTok as well as on Twitter and Instagram to get your social media hoops fix as well. Pascal Siakam is an Indiana Pacer, Chris. This is a trade that I think we all had speculated about for quite a long time. Finally got done. It was in advanced talks on Tuesday night and got done midday on Wednesday. So to give the details before I let you give your opening uh, reaction to this early trade, we got two early Toronto deals to kick off trade season, but the Raptors are getting Bruce Brown, Jordan Nawara, and three first round picks. Those picks are going to be Indiana's pick in 2024 and 2026. We don't know the protections as far as I've seen yet on those. And then the worst of the Jazz Clippers Rockets and Thunder first rounder this year. I think we can all assume that would be either the Clippers or the Thunders pick in the mid to late 20s. Thoughts? This is bold, and I love it for Indiana. This is the kind Mm. of trade that I think Tyrese Halliburton's star quality demands. I think Mm -hmm. it's an understanding that there's something they could build towards starting this year, that getting someone like Pascal Siakam demands. I think he's going to add a really nice element to their team. I think he's going to play at the octane pace that they want to play. And I think he's going to thrive in that structure, Brendan. I think Siakam is a guy that can go downhill and do all this stuff is going to be awesome. And you can look at three first round picks and Bruce Brown and think that's a lot. And I understand like Bruce Brown is someone they made it. It was a big deal when they got him. This is a guy that was key to the Nuggets championship maybe wasn't going to be in this team after this year anyway, and he's not as good as Pascal Siakam. So like that, it's weird. I, th- I suspect the Raptors will now be getting Bruce Bound trade calls would be my guess. We'll see where that goes. Three first-round picks. These picks are... They are what they are. Like, one is their own 2026, one is their own this year, and then the worst of one between the, J- the, the Jazz, Houston, the Clippers, and the Thunder. So likely not a very good pick. 
okay, whatever. Go for it. I love it. I love the boldness. I think Siakam's a really nice fit with this team. Him, Turner, and Halliburton is going to be a really nice group of three, I think, to build on here. I quite like this deal for Indiana. I like that they have bought instead of instead of selling. Yeah, selling wasn't an option. I mean, I think this is a bet on Tyrese Halliburton, right, in a lot of different ways. And it's a bet first before we started to see news come in that he was the type of player, the type of creator, the type of leader and personality that could get players like Siakam to want to play in Indiana, to re-up their contract in Indiana. And it seems like that's going to happen based on some quotes from Siakam's agent and some leakage about their confidence in keeping him. But it's also a bet on Tyrese stylistically, I would say, because I'm not as optimistic about the fit as you are just on paper. I actually don't think Siakam is somebody that necessarily, if you were to pick out of a hat all the players in the league, that he would be like a perfect... Like when when they got Obi Toppin, we were all like, great. Toppin is going to just slide right in. If any team, if any structure is going to make Obi Toppin the peak of what he could possibly be, it's going to be the Pacers. I don't feel that way about Pascal Siakam. And I think he's drifted for... I guess what we would call like the post-Siakam, pre-Scotty breakout, which would just be this year, era of the Raptors. I think he played a pretty methodical ISO post-up, I'm the offense type of style. And so he's going to have to adjust quite a bit. But again, that's betting that Tyrese can bring that out of him. And this season, Siakam has shown a little bit of, of indication that, hey, maybe he, maybe the Pacers felt comfortable pulling the trigger because of some of the trends of this season. And Darko Rayakovich over in Toronto, they've play, played a little faster under him. He's taken the ball out of Siakam's hands a bit, obviously, Schroeder is there, and Barnes is able to be more of a creator, so Siakam hasn't had to uh, shoulder so much of that. He's been more efficient and more frequent as a transition scorer this season. He's making more of his open threes and wide open threes than he ever has. And to me, uh, it has, has also brought his game more into the interior, taking more of his shots around the basket, drawing fouls at a better rate, and everything else. So I think... On the court, he can diversify this offense in a really cool way. I think that yes. he's a guy that that they need downhill badly. They need interior scoring because they have a center who wants to shoot threes. And unless they're in transition, they don't often get to the basket. They're taking drive and kick threes. They're getting offensive rebounds maybe, but they're not really getting that consistently. And so Siakam can do that. If he can integrate into the style all the rest of the time when it's not just getting him going downhill in some sort of set, I think this can really work. But I don't think it's going to be perfect. And I think to them it was, hey, we need to improve this roster around Tyrese and we believe that he's a big part of why people will get better when they get here. I also think, Brendan, to your comment about perfect, I think perfect is overrated. I think perfect in the NBA doesn't exist in the way that people like to think that it does. Once you get to a certain level of talent and you start adding really good players and you try to win something, 
none of these guys are exactly perfect puzzle pieces that fit together. The edges have to be smooth. You're you're creating something new. You're you're not build you're not putting together a puzzle that you already know the pieces are going to fit together. You're building a new puzzle from scratch. You're building something often new. So I think perfect is often just not possible in the way that people like to think it would be. And I, I think it's this is often a, a bet on talent. This is also a bet on stylistic evolution. To your point about them needing downhill, needing someone to do something different, this is one of the teams that if you look ahead of the playoffs, the way they want to play often gets caught off at the knees in the playoffs. It's really been historically hard to play really fast and play up tempo and play the way they seem to want to play all the time when you get there. And this to me also just feels like an eye on, Hey, we know we're going somewhere. We want to be competitive in the playoffs this year, whether it's where we got to get out of the plane and, and play a really good team around one or, or a top six seed and want to make some noise unexpectedly. This to me feels like them saying, we know there's work to do for us to get there. We know we needed to diversify what we are. Let's prepare for that and use the, and this is just going to be more helpful to us than Bruce Brown's is caginess or, any of the rookies that we might have to draft and develop with, with later first round picks over the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, look, they are the number two half court offense in the NBA. So this is not a case of the Memphis Grizzlies of, of John Morant years before where they are elite when they can run and have nothing. They have to play slower. Like this team does have it. I think to me, it's just, it, it's not often coming from the best... It's not often coming from Tyrese, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's where I kind of look to the playoffs and I'm like, okay, so he takes less than a quarter of his shots at the rim. That's a decent number for a point guard and he's improved a lot there. But you look around the rest of it, you know, the guys who are taking a lot of their shots. Benedict Matherin is basically the only dude who gets to the basket outside of, I guess you would say, Bruce Brown, who's now gone. But Miles Turner takes more threes than anything. Buddy Heald, 68% of Buddy Heald's shots are threes. Uh, TJ McConnell doesn't even really try to get to the basket that often. He's kind of a pull-up guy unless he's in transition. Nemhard likes to take threes, likes to take mid-range jumpers. So unless Tyrese is is serving it up on a platter to these role players or he is getting to the basket, which is not necessarily his preference, it's not happening. So what I like is that, that Siakam is going to be somebody who, whether he's the role man, whether he's posting up, whether he is attacking a closeout, you just trust that he's going to be able to do it. One of the other things I like, though, is I think they kind of need to slow down. I think that yeah. they are a team that... that it, we, we saw them kind of push the boundaries of, of what that could look like, but I think it hurt their offensive balance, their offensive consistency, and their defense to be playing at 180 miles an hour at all times. Like I don't think that's sustainable, and I actually don't think how fast this team was playing, it, it actually was too fast. I think we learned there is such a thing as too fast. Mm-hmm. Do you like, when you think about this roster and you look at their their top seven or so, if you look at minutes played this year, that would be Halliburton. Bruce Brown was playing 30 minutes a game for them, nearly second most minutes per game of the team. So let's just say Siakam slides into those minutes plus a little bit more. Turner, Heald, Matherin, Neesmith, Toppin, Nemhard. What do you make of that 
rotation, that roster? Is there another kind of player you think they could use? Is this enough to start with and you kind of reassess where this group, this trio, this really the, the Halliburton, Siakam, Turner trio gets mm-hmm. you? What do you like about this group? Where do you feel like it's still missing something? Is there anyone that you're now that you think is now under more scrutiny and more pressure to perform now that this trade has been made? What I think it'll do is it'll lock things into place a little bit more easily, especially on the defensive end of the court. Like we talked, I think the last time we really zoomed in on this team was in the in-season tournament and then the games directly after and obviously Halliburton has been injured lately so they're kind of hard to evaluate but one of the things that became clear was even just playing obviously Neesmith was the standout of the NBA Cup but right after that they get Jalen Smith back and they started to start those guys Mm -hmm. and it it made such an obvious difference but the reality is like as far as talent goes, Jalen Smith, probably even Aaron Neesmith, they're not exactly starter caliber players when you get to the postseason. Buddy Heald is more talented than those guys. You would even maybe say at his peak already, Benedict Matherin is more talented than those guys, maybe even Obi Toppin. So they were at a little bit of a disadvantage. What I think that Siakam will do is just provide lineup structure. But you said that he'll just slide into Bruce Brown's minutes. They don't play the same position. So to me, that's kind of the imbalance that they're now facing is they already were pretty thin on the wing. Bruce Brown sort of masqueraded as a wing, even though he's only 6'4 and can't really guard forwards or certainly can't guard bigs. That's even more pronounced now. So I could see them having another move in them. We we heard that they were at least considering including Jairus Walker and or Benedict Matherin in this Siakam trade or the OG Ananobi trade that they explored before that. And obviously the Buddy Heald contract is still sitting here, which preseason, we all thought they were going to deal him. So yeah, we did. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear their names come up again when it comes to maybe not a nobody's going to probably be the caliber of Siakam that gets moved at this deadline but a a pretty solid wing somebody like Dorian Finney-Smith who we threw out there in our last episode would not surprise me if they really made another pursuit of somebody because they feel I think reasonably so like this is a real chance to make some noise in the playoffs maybe win a round I have thought too that maybe this could have been the team that they just still have some assets and then it goes and pays for uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Royce O'Neal, just like a veteran wing on a team that could be in, in the market to move. I wonder if they now have the assets to go and do that. But this would be an opportunity, I think, for, let's say, Matherin to maybe step up into a bigger role and kind of solidify himself in a different way. This is this is an opportunity for him to play good minutes. And he's already playing a lot of minutes, but I think be a little more solid um, on a team that is going to need him. And, you know, this le- this does lessen, I think, room for other guys. You know, and Obi Toppin, you think his minutes are absolutely going to get cut, rolled back here with Siakwin coming in. And he's somebody else who could be available. You're right that they don't have yeah. picks, but they have, like, multiple solid players and two young, not blue chippers, but pretty good guys in Matherin and Jairus Walker who they seem to be at least... They're comfortable with the idea of trading them. I'm not saying they're going to, but that can get you something, even if there's no first-round pick that you would include in that trade. Yeah, it might be. I think particularly with Walker, because we've just barely seen him in his rookie year, that would be selling very low. 
but I would also yeah I would not trade him personally I wouldn't either yeah I mean I I, yeah. I don't think I would trade Matherin either I mean he's 22 you're you did just make this trade for Siakam but I don't think this is a trade that means you're all in on every single front and you got to expunge all of your assets now I think you still got to be patient but I wonder if they sniff around other things and it's kind of the thing every team needs which is except for like the Knicks mm-hmm. is more big wings and or wings you can at least shoot but I think yeah. there there's there's room there for them to nibble on the edges if they want to be additive in some way and, and even if it's just like hey the Spurs have been the whole week we keep reading Spurs about how they want Doug McDermott off the roster and they want and Jetty Osmond is getting calls like even just get one of those guys for depth and you let their contracts run out and it's the return pick. of Dougie McBuckets to Indiana yeah forgot about that for a second honestly that's where he's that's where he he made his his livelihood was the uh the the inception point of our great sport um i think uh i think that it's a funny thing with this as as we close up on on our reaction here siakam comes in now i think he's along with halliburton the only two players that i know are going to be pacers next year yeah on this entire roster yeah and that's that's kind of a cool place to be. I think it speaks to how well they've built the roster with some salaries that are tradable, young players who they've drafted and developed. Somebody even like Andrew Nemhard, who we haven't mentioned. I think, you know, you could tell me he's kind of a, a backup point guard long term, or you could tell me he gets traded in a deal for a, a more solid winning win now type of guy. And I would I would believe either one. Um, I also think there's trades on this roster where they could maybe recoup some of the value that they just gave up in this Siakam trade, right? Sell somebody like a, a TJ McConnell at this deadline who I know that they've been playing, but you know, probably not vital for them long-term. Can you get something for him? Can you dump Jalen Smith, who's a little bit reductive, uh, redundant with Siakam, and maybe you get a, a few seconds there. So they're very flexible still, and I think that's kind of the, the point I'm making. I don't know what specific trade they'll do. I don't know which one I would do, but they're not, they don't have to be done. And sometimes we see teams make a move like this, and it's like, all right, there's their team. This is not that. Last thing I think we should hit on here. This is the standing is in the East as we're recording this before the Wednesday slate of games. Celtics are first. Bucks are second, three games back. Phillies four and a half back. Cavs and Heat are both seven back. Pacers and Knicks eight back. Magic nine back. Brendan, the Pacers are were already, I think, a real threat to be a top six team in the East. This obviously just makes them more of a threat. I think four through six in the East is going to end up in maybe even three is going to be an absolute fist fight. I think that's the other part of this. That's really fun. If you're just a pure basketball fan and want the most competitive NBA product. And I hate that. I just said that I hate that. He's the word product in the, over the, the rest of the season from now until April. Yeah. This gate, this all your caveats in there is going to guarantee that the, the fight to not be in the plane is absolutely going to be a fist fight. And like they're in the same division as Cleveland. So like we know they're just going to end up playing a lot. And that, and again, all this is just more additive to what is already, what was already going to be, I think a really fun race for who actually can make the top six in the East this year. Yeah. I think, you know, Franz Wagner remains out for Orlando who we'll talk about later and they keep, Kind of, I don't want to call it a free fall, but they have really lost the lead that they built up in the standings. Cleveland, you know, th- th- how long does the magic last? Are Garland and Mobley rusty when they return? 
The Knicks, you would expect to probably push, push, push with how well they've looked. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be very interesting. And also, whoever gets nine and ten should not even get to participate. If I'm being honest, this year in the East, it should just be uh, an honorary. You know, maybe they get like a a nice placard that they can put up at the you know team offices, but no actual competition. It's just sort of a, an honorary. It's like an honorary doctorate that they give celebrities. It's it's you you qualified for the play-in tournament, but you didn't actually compete in it because we didn't want to watch that. But you know, we'll see. All right. In addition to the wonderful trade that we had, we also had an awesome basketball game on Tuesday night, featuring the back-to-back the 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 previous two NBA MVPs. Two seven-footers who have dominated discourse around the league and who have had some awesome clashes. Really, last year, like in March, I think was one of my most favorite games in recent NBA history. And we got a, another one on Tuesday night that really lived up to that, where the Philadelphia 76ers were able to beat the Denver Nuggets at home, 126-121. to 121. Joel Embiid, 41, 7, and 10. Nikola Jokic, 25, 19, and 3. Before we get into some of the bigger picture stuff with this game and the guys dueling head-to-head and finals possibilities and everything else, Chris, what did you make of this game? What do you think decided this game, aside from those two dudes being pretty elite themselves? I was going to just say, like, I think Embiid was the one who decided this more down the stretch. He has a late three-point play. He then has a three-pointer that makes it an eight-point lead with not a lot of time left on the clock. And yes, he does commit that foul on MPJ that leaves the window just a little bit open with under 30 seconds to go for Denver. But he was the decider in this game in a lot of ways. The other thing, Brennan, that I think really impressed me for Philly and decided in this game was, I think, the two-man game against a really good team defense in the way Denver plays. I just thought Maxi with his 25, was really on point was really decisive. He, the offense is absolutely humming with him in those actions. And it, it's it's one of those spots in a big game where we've known he's had this great season, but it makes you just feel very sure that he's going to be ready for a big load once the playoff comes and ready to take on whatever he's going to need to do as the number two to Embiid's number one. But I think it starts with Embiid. It starts with his ability at home in this game and just the, the plays he made down the stretch. But then I think it extends to Maxi and the playmaking and the scoring acumen that Maxi really showed against a really solid defense that that knows how to play and, and knows how to defend just about everything, even if they don't have that one singular all-defense kind of guy. It's cool when you just... It's cool when we get a matchup like this, right? Where yeah. obviously the two guys playing, and Embiid in particular, who had missed a, a bunch of time leading up and then plays in Houston the night before or against Houston the night before. But it's also cool when... It's a game that just shows you a lot about both sides. Like, I think we really saw these teams playing their game, playing their real rotations, playing their guys a ton of minutes. You mentioned Maxi, 43 for him, 39 for Embiid, 38 plus for the Nuggets, three best guys. And for the Sixers and for Embiid, to me, that meant a lot of the stuff that's made Embiid's season really special. Like, this is an all-time offensive season we're seeing from Joel Embiid. You're hearing people who have, you know, covered this stuff for a lot longer or 
maybe are more historically inclined than you and I throw like Wilt comparisons and Shaq comparisons around with what this guy is doing. And his rhythm, his pace, when he has the ball in his hands, when he is making decisions, to me is is so glaring, and I mean that in a good way, this season. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like he is he just is in full control. He knows exactly what he wants to do every single step of the way. And in this game, you saw that mean that he was ISOing in the middle of the floor, which is something Nick, Nick Nurse has tried to structure for him more this season than just give it to him on the block. And it felt like the Nuggets, I guess that I guess they were just trying to make the shooters beat them. They kind of did. Mm-hmm. But it also just felt like they weren't really executing. A team that we think of as being so big and so impactful um, with their size and kind of on a string when they're at their best defensively with that five-man starting lineup for the Nuggets, it just kind of felt like they were caught in no man's land a few times. And when they were in zone, sometimes that was because Jokic was having to make that closeout. And, and, you know, he's not the quickest dude. We all know that. But it just kind of felt like Embiid solving another problem to me in a season where every night it just feels like he's doing that. I think Denver, too, just went all in on this. We're going to double him. We're going to scramble. We need to be really... To do that, you have to be so precise. And I and they just... like it, it. I think you're right in saying maybe they just didn't execute well enough. And energy, right? Like, I, I mean, yeah. precise and which like, playing which like, super hard. I, th- this, this isn't like a fun answer to like give and it's I'm not even going to sit here and try to tell you that this is the most earth-shedding analysis you're ever going to get on a basketball podcast or show you're watching on YouTube but like this just also sometimes happens in the regular season I think it's like one of those things where like sometimes it's just like 82 games even in a big game that's that the first half in particular was loads of fun both teams were up in like the 100th percentile of offensive rating for a stretch and both finished really well sometimes you're just going to have nights where for whatever reason you're on the road you're just a little bit off and like they just look unsure of themselves i think in a way that is a little bit unusual but i also just don't it's like i just don't read into that as like a real issue it's just like okay they had a weird night that happens it sucks at it for them that it happened on this big stage and it beat absolutely i think had them in, in fits um and and it's it's always i think going to be hard even even with how smart they are to take Aaron Gordon and make him the primary matchup on Embiid like that. I think some of the cross matching sometimes does just create complications. Even if I understand the intention, just the, the DNA is a little bit off. I think maybe the good thing if you're Denver, if you want to spin it in a certain way is that there's not really anyone else. I think in the league right now that you would look at and say, Oh, that guy can cause the same havoc for us and cause like the same kind of breakdowns. There's not really any formula. Not the same kind of breakdowns, right? But I do think that one of the things about the Sixers is like I saw this firsthand with the Suns last season because the Nuggets put Jokic on Josh Okoge a lot in that series. And it was a similar tactic where, I mean, yes, okay, he can help at the basket. It's really just to protect him. But the Sixers don't offer you a Josh Okoge at least with their best lineups. And again, with playing their best guys so much, Kelly Oubre is the worst shooter in that lineup. And, you know, even he's 
you can make shots, right? And Patrick Beverly was making shots in this one. So when suddenly Nikola Jokic is having to close out to or, you know, keep kind of corral off of a closeout, an actual threat on offense, that strategy just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so, yes, okay, it's not going to be Embiid. You maybe aren't going to be so panicked about let's have Gordon and somebody physical guard him so that Jokic is having to expend energy or, you know, worried about foul trouble. But I do think looking at Boston or Phoenix or the Clippers, those are teams that are going to challenge the stretchiness of Denver's defense and the energy and execution stuff that we were talking about in a way that this game, it's at least a, it's a data point, right? Yeah, I hear you about the regular season, but... I also don't think Denver had to play a team like that during their run last year. They played Minnesota, who plays big and clogged. They played the Lakers, who play big and clogged. And they played the Suns, who kind of fell apart, but obviously, honestly didn't have enough shooting themselves either. So that's all I'm saying. To flip it to the other side, though, yeah, an example of how the Sixers were engaged and didn't maybe go through the, you know, bullshit of a regular season night quite as much. And maybe it helps to be at home, sure. I thought that their defense against the passing mm-hmm. and ball movement, player movement offense of the Nuggets was really, really good. And in particular, Batum, Harris, and Beverly, I thought were awesome on defense. Obviously, Batum had the block at the very end of the game to kind of win it, to kind of clinch the win. Uh, but but both of those wings were in the passing lanes. And then what Beverly did in the second half, kind of, I don't want to say putting the clamps on Murray, but quieting him down quite a bit and forcing him into an overall inefficient sub 20 point night. I thought that was a a really, really strong showing from a Sixers defense that I still have questions about. It's, it's talent wise, not a a unit you would look at and say that they're going to shut a great offense down, but for stretches enough to win the game, they did that. Did you all happen to see Patrick Beverly doing saying very Patrick Beverly things about Jamal Murray after this game? I only really saw the Embiid and Jokic quotes. I did not see uh, any were, Pat Bev commentary which, here. The the Jokic Embiid stuff was like very loving, almost like very just like respectful. Yeah, it was cool. Which was I liked cool. Jokic I liked saying that. I was playing the 76ers, not him. <laughs> I'm like, <Yeah>. okay, <laughs> stay stay you, Joker. But what did Pat Bev say? Uh, he got asked uh, by a reporter what the key was to defending a scorer like Murray, and he said, "No key. I've been locking his ass up for years." And he said, there's no special approach to a game like this in defending someone like Murray. Just the most Pat Bev shit okay. of all time. <laughs> it's just like, can't, he can't Moving help himself. On. He just cannot no. help himself in any specific way. But I think you're right. And Philly has this in, like, if they, I think I still expect them to make a trade. And I think there's urgency for them to do so. But there is something really smart about how this roster is assembled if they can't make a trade. And it's because of what you're shouting out. Because they just have Batum and they have Beverly. They have a bunch of smart veterans who know their role, who are going to play into a role and allow them to be a very specific, really hard-to-play team. There's something to that, even if the star power isn't at the highest level you'd want it to be, perhaps, and when, what historically I think teams have opted for when they're chasing championships. They, they looked at the roster with Harden and I think just have decided based on the market, I would assume knowing Daryl Morey and just wanting to not to not be rushed into something silly to say we have all these bigger wings who can shoot. A lot of them are older and like they're not going to be around forever. But for right now, surround them, surround Embiid and, and Maxi with them. 
and that's really good for us to get us through and be a pretty good team, be a top three team in the East. And it shows up in moments like that where you can just have those wings making all the right plays and being annoying defensively and being in the passing lanes and being locked in. And there's not the concern that it's a younger guy playing into trying to get his next bigger contract and take more shots or that they're not going to know where to be because they're not experienced enough. Like this is, there's something very solid and dependable built into the center of that roster. Absolutely. And I look, they'll get Melton back. He is, uh, he's out now with an injury. He's been out for a while. He is helpful there. Uh, I still think that they'll probably try to get something else in the way of a wing this deadline. We didn't, you know, we didn't talk about the Raptors side of the Siakam trade much, which I think maybe we can make a point of watching that team when they come together, because that's sort of my question is, do they flip Brown, whatever? That's why we didn't focus on them much. But the other ripple effect is (laughs) the Sixers uh, cap space hopes have just kind of disappeared. (laughs) The Clippers are locking all their guys up and OG Ananobi seems very, very thrilled to be you know, playing in Manhattan and it looks like Siakam's thrilled to be playing next to Tyrese Halberton. So that's a separate conversation, but the, they might not have uh, their, their pickings of much. It'll be a, a little bit more of a tightrope walk to improve this roster maybe than we thought, but I don't know. Like I just watched them and I'm like, man, they couldn't have done the trade. I get it. The, the Raptors had very specific goals, but OG on this team, would have been a, a lot of fun, but no, I mean, they're, they're, I think they're hitting their absolute ceiling of what they can be as a team right now. I just kind of want more for them uh, from a Sixers standpoint. To your point, here are just some of the, here, Hoopslipe has their list of 10 free agents that'll be available next summer. Maxie's one on the list. We know he's going to go back to Philly. We just know that they held him oh. off through an <laughs> Why do they even have him on the list? That's goofy. Well, yeah. so then Paul George is two, Siakam is three, LeBron is four. He's not going to Philly. Drew Holiday is five. You'd expect he just stays in Boston. Yeah. Okay. Then it's Tobias also, Harris at six. Also, not sure he's like a huge addition, even if they got him, to be honest with you. Yeah. Tobias Personal. Harris at six. DeMar DeRozan at seven. Emmanuel Quickly at eight. James Harden at nine. <laughs> OJ Anobi at 10. Nick Claxton at 11. D'Angelo Russell at 12. Malik Monk at 13. KCP at 14. And Miles Bridges uh, at 15. What are you even doing with this money that is actually like worth your money? And three of three, two of the guys you had, and one of the guys you had to trade because the relationship got so toxic. And he was a, he was at nightclubs with signs saying Daryl Morey is a liar and telling Chinese children that Daryl Morey is a liar. So uh, I don't know where you're spending your money. You probably should just go trade for someone right now. Yeah. Also, KCP would be a great fit. He has a player option. So them treating him as a free agent is uh, jumping the gun a little bit. Maybe it's just, hey, the Nuggets are a little cheap. Why don't we give KCP $25 million? That could be the answer. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting predicament. We'll see where their rumors end up. But um, we haven't touched on awards or anything like that much. I think we're kind of due for maybe a halfway point check-in on that stuff, Chris, soon. But Rudy Gobert, Defense Player of the Year, coming, brother. Betting favorite right now. I don't know if you've looked at this. We're going to have to have a talk about it, and you're going to get to do another victory lap. I mean, he's the best defensive player on the best defense in the NBA. That doesn't surprise me that he'd be the front runner. But yeah, I mean, he's... He's right there. I'm, I'm not even making a joke. Of course, he's the front runner for I know, the defensive player I know. of the year. I he's just, the I had, anchor I had, of the best defense. I, I had I was looking at BetMGM when uh, we were prepping when I was prepping for the show, and I saw that, and I was just like, "Oh, we're we're so back. We're back, baby. Yeah. Here you go, Bear. Let's go." 
But yeah, let's talk awards. So I looked this up, MVP wise. Mm-hmm. I think uh, hat tip to the Dunked On NBA show. They do a good thing lately with their MVP stuff. Um, I don't always, uh, you know, look, they don't always analyze everything exactly the way that I would, but their awards concept lately for MVP has been largely offense-based because I think that's kind of what value is, especially in the regular season in 2024. And so what they a lot of the time will do is break down, break out, I should say, the candidates by the offensive rating of their team when they're on the court. The Sixers right now have a 123.2 offensive rating when, when Embiid is on the court. The Nuggets have a 125.2 offensive rating when Jokic is on the court. Those are both numbers that would be significantly ahead of Indiana's league best unit. And it's driven by those two guys. On the other hand, when you look at Luka, the Mavs offense is 120.8, also pretty good. And then you look at Shea, and these are just kind of like my top four. You can differ from me. Mm Mm-hmm. The Thunder offense is at 124.3 when Shea is on the court, which is ahead of Embiid below Jokic. I was going to ask you, do we even consider anybody but Embiid and Jokic for this award right now? But when I quickly looked at that, I was like, this might be a much tighter race with multiple legitimate candidates and some newcomers rather than just the tired debate we've had the past few years. The odds reflect that. I'll tell you that much. But here's Bet MGM. This is what they have as the odds right now. Jokic at plus two fifty, Embiid at plus two seventy five, SGA at plus three hundred, Luca at plus seven hundred, Giannis at plus eight hundred, Jason Tatum at plus two fifty. Two two hundred two thousand five hundred twenty five hundred. To be clear, not mm-hmm. two fifty. That would be wild if I read that correctly. So you have in that. It'd also range, be kind of rude of them to put him so low on the list and then mix you up by having his odds actually better. Giannis, just for the record, since I didn't include him there, 123.9 offensive rating when he's on the court for the Bucks. So uh, that would be, it goes Jokic, Giannis, Shea, and Bede of the guys that I've looked up here in this little exercise. Possible. It's possible we get a really competitive, fun NBA race this year. I don't know if I lean one way or the other strongly enough right now. I think it's really competitive and really close. I don't. I didn't look at last night's game. I guess I am Nicole Jokic in this one specific way where I didn't feel like they were playing each other. I felt like those are two teams playing each other, and they happen to have two of the best players in the world on them. So I don't. I it did feel that way. It felt, but it was better for it, in my opinion. Yes, because you're because when you force the MVP stuff onto this, you're just generating nonsense that doesn't. Need well, to I don't even mean from an MVP standpoint, but it just it felt like both guys really are at the peak of their powers in a way where they make their teammates better. I mean, Embiid had 10 fucking assists in this game. It it definitely wasn't mano a mano, like, you know, MJ versus Drexler or something. It like just posting up on the wing 50 times a game and taking middies. It was like, this is, this is a clash of Titans and the Titans are the teams. I think you're absolutely right, but they play again next week. So we'll, we'll get it again. Wish we had it like in like March not mm-hmm. so close together, I guess, but that's what are you going to do? SGA uh, just shouldn't be counted out, I think, is kind of where I end up. Giannis either, 
you know, maybe the Mavs end up in a really good spot and, and Luka makes a push, but I don't think SGA should be really counted out in this, especially if the voting gets... We haven't got a Bontem straw poll in a while at over at ESPN, so we'll see what the next one of those looks like. I'll be very curious, but it wouldn't shock me if you get, like, a lot of guys getting high votes this year and SGA is getting a lot of the votes. It wouldn't shock me if it goes that way. The Mavs have three fewer wins than the Nuggets, so uh, they're right there. I just got to, you know... I don't. I have a, a disgusting obsession with the team that ripped my favorite team's heart and soul out. So I don't know why I'm such a Mavs like defender, but they're not uh, out of the pack by any means. Their point differentials much worse than a lot of their other teams, but standings wise, they're there. And and so I think Luca this season might be his best shot out of all these other times when we've kind of been like, well, what about Luca? And then we just move on. I think he's he's going to be right there. Um, all right, let's move on to waving the flag where we planted the flag preseason on two of our favorite small market, great story, young teams, the Sacramento Kings and the Orlando Magic. And then each week we wave the flag, a.k.a. talk about those teams. Before we get there, I want to tell you about our partners at Homage, an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that uses vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. I have my 2022 Las Vegas Aces WNBA Championship t-shirt. I, you know, I didn't get the updated repeat champs edition, but this is super soft, obviously cool design, fits me perfectly, and... That's how all their stuff is. So buy something, hoodie, shirt. I think they have pants, shorts, whatever. And click the link below to do so. Some of that money comes back to the Just Basketball Show. All right, Chris, let's start with another one of the the past like two days, Monday and Tuesday night in the NBA uh, were pretty excellent. Uh, actually, now realizing this game might have happened on Sunday. So I'll just go ahead and say the past week of basketball has been awesome. And one of the other games was the Sacramento Kings taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. In, in Milwaukee, nearly ripping off an incredible comeback mm-hmm. and then being thwarted by one of the most signature things that the NBA can offer us in 2024, which is a young, small, not young, middle-aged, mid-30s point guard pointing at his wrist as he devastates an entire fan base. And Damian Lillard did that again. What did you make of this game from a King standpoint? We can celebrate the Dame stuff momentarily because I do think it's worth spending some time on this game because it was that big and we can venture away from the Kings a bit. But from the sack standpoint, what stood out to you? I thought the way that they came back in this game showed some real grit, showed some real poise, showed a comfort in navigating some choppy waters. I think first and foremost, and I just think that they they just never stop attacking, Brendan. This team, for better, I think nine times out of ten, you can put them against a wall, you can get a big lead on them, you can have arguably the best player in the world, and you can have Damian Lillard and all of this stuff, and it doesn't matter to the Kings. They just come, and they come, and they come. And ultimately, obviously, they end up losing on that game winner. Certainly, I'm sure yeah. that uh, that stung. You know, if you're them, you're probably a little you got you got you got caught there, and that is what it is. But ended up putting up a really good offensive rating in this game. Barely turned the ball over in this game. 
We're really, really good from three on a ton of shots. We're really good in the half court and needed to be in this game. We're really good in transition off of five rebounds in this game. It needs to be everywhere they kind of needed to be on offense for the most part, except for like the offensive glass and, and maybe getting to the rim a little bit more, which is hard to do against the Bucks. obviously. They did really, really well. And that's going to keep them in games. I think with the right additions, that's going to keep them in playoff series. It's why Siakam, to me, would have been additive to them and, and worth it, even though those socks obviously broke down and Siakam's now a pacer. But this is the kind of game that I think tells you how dangerous this team can be. Even if it doesn't turn out the right way, they're never going to be out of games because of how darn good their offense can be. Yeah. Fox, I think, is the the headliner, obviously, of, of them in general, but especially in this game and especially late as they mounted their comeback. He scored 15 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. He was 6 of 10 from the field in those moments, which means he was 6 of 16 the rest of the game. So he started cold and absolutely came alive, hit two floaters in overtime as they were... They got down, I believe... They were down a whole bunch of different times. They were down eight by the end of the fourth quarter or toward the end of the fourth quarter, maybe about two, three minutes to go. But then they went up in overtime to start things out. And then it ended up being the Bucks who had to kind of come back. So mm-hmm. he just had an answer for all of that. He's been, he won the freaking clutch award, the first one ever last year. So we all know that he's capable of that and the stats back that up. But his inability, like just nobody can guard him. That to me is the wrinkle. Like I remember throwing the uh, hypothetical at you a few weeks back on this segment where we talked about what I overheard on some podcasts of somebody saying that if the finger injury hadn't happened for him last postseason, they could have beaten the Warriors. And we talked through that a little bit. You can't predict the injury side of it. But to me, there's no wondering anymore. If he's at his peak in the playoffs, and I have no reason to doubt that he will be, I, I'm I'm going to have a really hard time betting against anything but a super competitive series, if not an outright progression from them. They're they're gonna, I think, get over the hump this year if they hit the right matchup because of him and because of the developments that he's made. And I mean, that just revealed itself again against a Bucks team that has absolutely nothing in the way of anybody who can stop a guy like De'Aaron Fox. They even started Andre Jackson in this game, but he fouled five times and did nothing in 10 minutes. And they were back to square one, wondering how the hell do we guard anybody who can get any sort of downhill momentum? And the answer was they couldn't. Well, and even just the layup that he hits to get this game into overtime, it's just like that star guard stuff. That is lead offensive engine that is taken two leaps now three like however many leaps it is like he just has the, the complete package and if you look at if you look at the west and you kind of prognosticate them like there's not a ton of teams that are totally going to be able i think to fully keep up with him at times like this is a guy that is bona fide to all levels he, and just specifically the the, the game tying layup to me it speaks so well yeah. about how far he's come He's driving. I pull, I'm pulling it up now so I can actually narrate this and like not and not just like fake remember it. I'm actually gonna like I'm actually watching this so we can. Look You're gonna at do it. like an NPR the- voice, very very like close to the mic and quiet, like a or like a, a National Geographic, ASL. like a a lion stalking its prey. I don't know. You can or a fox stalking its prey, right? I guess that's yeah. more apt. Yeah. So we'll do this. All right. 
five seconds left. He drives past Giannis. He beats Giannis with his pace. He understands that Giannis, this large predator, is gonna is trying to steal the ball from him and block him. And he uses his body and is finishing with his left hand over Giannis at the rim to tie the game. And he isn't celebrating. He isn't like, we tied the game. He keeps his head on post. And what does he do? He's like organizing the defense to make sure they don't give up a silly bucket late in this game. Mm-hmm. This is De'Aaron Fox as a, as an adult, full-on prime NBA star guard who's doing it all and is carrying his team against one of the best teams in the world. And again, it doesn't go their way, but that's not because of him. They got dame-timed for the first time. Like, they're the first team to get dame-timed in, with Dame in Milwaukee, but they're not yeah. even, there's not even, even an opportunity to extend this game unless Fox kind of takes over for a large stretch of the game, which for him to be the one taking over the game on a court that has Giannis and has Damian Lillard, even if there's there's deeper ways you could look at that, but just on that baseline level, that's incredible that that's where he's at. Yeah, and I think we've talked a lot about Fox. Obviously, the real biggest ingredient that makes him less predictable now, too, is the, the pull-up three ability, the shooting ability overall, and that just... It's kind of the last ingredient that he's had, but uh, on some of the other guys on this team, you're seeing Sabonis. I mean, he's been fucking awesome since like December first. Gonna be his December numbers. He's gonna be an All Star. Is that what you were gonna say? Well, it's gonna be a bummer if he, he if he's a cut. It's gonna be like a very hard cut. I think that's how good he's been. Yeah, since in December 2013 and 8, and in nine games so far in January, as we're about three weeks into that month, 23, 14, and 9. He shot 60% from the field in December, 68% so far in January. His usage is bumped up a bit, but really it's just about making more shots uh, and, and maybe turning the ball over a little bit less has been his recipe to, to kind of maximize each and every possession, but they're really using him as a scorer more and kind of being intentional about that somewhat to take pressure off of Fox somewhat to, I think just sort of mix things up and be a little bit less predictable. Um, He's taking more floaters. We've been kind of charting that throughout the season. Only a fifth of his shots last year were from that short mid-range area, 25, a quarter percent this year, and he's making them. Same as he always has, but he's taking more. Um, And the other part, too, is how, to me, uh, they've how purposeful they've tried to be to get Kevin Herter going. And he was really, really good in this game. The Bucs... It's a different kind of point of attack defense, but it's another version of it. Couldn't even get a hand in his face on most of these shots. But I was also, I saw these guys on Tuesday night mm-hmm. in Phoenix in, a, in another awesome game where they were again the victim of some late game shenanigans. So I'm sure Kings fans are feeling very awful this week. But they did the same thing with Herter, and they actually were having Herter bring the ball up a lot in the Phoenix game. And I don't fully know what to make of that. I haven't been able to, I haven't seen or been able to find like a great Mike Brown quote about why they're doing that. But part of it, I think, is just to get Herder more involved. But it's also, I think, to kind of preserve Fox a little bit and get him going in different 
situations. Maybe it's downhill off of a dribble handoff or catching a spot up and his versatility makes you able to do that. But that's something to just monitor, I guess, as they use Sabonis more as a scorer, as Fox continues to be versatile and efficient and they try to get Herder going. They're kind of, this is what the regular season is all about, but it feels like offensively they're, they're different than they were last year in a cool way. Agreed. And and I think that's also important for where they're at. This is a team that needs to evolve. I think a team that had obviously a really great year last year and got to the playoffs and gave it a valiant effort. But when it's not enough, you kind of have to be in a position to, I think, go for it more aggressively. And this is a way that if, if especially if you can't make a trade that you'd like to make, this feels like a good hedge to maybe start figuring out a little bit. How do we evolve? How do we figure this out? What are the ways we can we can make this better um, mm-hmm. for us? And that's not nothing. I I want to what that looks like in the playoffs. I think is another question. And I still think this is a team that needs to make a trade. I think like urgency mm-hmm. wise, I still want them to find something. I don't know what that exactly is if Siakam's off the board. But I just like the, I like Rosemary Nail on this team. We didn't talk about O'Neal with them when we went through some of the yeah. Jazz options or the Nets options the Nets other options, yeah. day, but he can fit in their flow probably better than most wings. They need guys who can ha- have the ball and not panic. That's, I think, part of why maybe some of the young players on this team get into some questionable situations is because playing through Sabonis and Fox, playing so fast, I do think that the decision-making curve is a little steeper so i think o'neill's ability to handle the ball and be a good decision maker could go a long way but yeah i mean the thing is like right they need defense Mm -hmm. is even more than whatever kind of wrinkles and answers they come up with on offense but that's what i wanted to throw at you and you kind of were starting to go there a minute ago to wrap the king's side of waving the flag is who would you favor them against in the playoffs let's just go through the teams and you just give me a yes or a no and we'll start from the bottom would you favor them in a playoff series right now against the warriors yes so would i rockets yes me too lakers can we come back to that one um I would favor them against the Lakers because they've always played the Lakers well. One of the games we talked about earlier in the season was when they played, AD went off, but the Kings, I believe, won that game and Murray went off because the Lakers just couldn't keep up. So I would say yes. I think yes, but there's also just like a LeBron-sized hole waiting to like bludgeon them if things go incorrectly. But that's the first one that I had to think about, and I'll think about it more than some of these other ones. Okay, Utah. I'm favoring the Kings over the Jazz. Me too. Pelicans. I don't think the Kings are going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to favor them over the Pelicans. The Suns. Herb, Herb, Herb Jones just want to say is like Herb guarding Darren Fox in a playoff series would fucking rule. Would I watch. mean, he he took Darren Fox and wadded him up into a ball like a piece of paper <laughs> and threw him into the trash can the last time that they played. So uh, that sounds like a good bet that Herb would, would go a long way, but I still just kind of trust the Kings more. So I agree with you. Yeah. But Suns. Yeah, I think I'm favoring the Kings just based on the body of work so mm. far. It just feels like you have to give them the advantage, even if the star power of the Suns is obviously higher. It's an interesting one because... 
the Kings owned the Suns the first two matchups this year, and then they owned them for two and a half quarters on Tuesday night. The, the Suns come back, kind of show you why their big three is what it is and the potency it can have. But last year, the Suns absolutely owned the Kings. The, the breakout season Sacramento had, the Suns actually really took it to them, including in a shorthanded game after the KD trade when they didn't have anybody on their roster, but KD hadn't gotten there yet. So that that is kind of a low-key, fascinating little Western Conference kind of head-to-head thing that I, I kind of hope we see because it would just be a bunch of offense. Uh, Dallas. I think Dallas would beat the Kings. I would favor them as well. I would favor the Dallas Mavericks as well, but I think that would also be a really competitive series that I that would be like a fun like four or five if we could we could well that into existence. Yep. Uh, do you like them against any of the top four in the West? Minnesota, OKC, Denver, the Clippers. Can they beat any of those teams? And if so, which one would be most likely? If I was going to have to pick them to knock off one, I think I would pick them to knock off the Wolves. I don't see that with yeah. a lot of confidence, but I don't like who do the Wolves have? Like McDaniels is unbelievable, but is he? Him chasing around Fox, I think, is would be a test for him as much as it would be a test for Fox. Fox attacking Mike yeah. Conley, I think, greatly favors the Kings. The problem is the Timberwolves have Rudy Gobert and Towns and have the bigs and not and our guy Nas Reed. And there's a lot there that is flustering against the bonus, which I think makes it really complicated. It, either the Kings offense would have to really evolve I think in real time to kind of get out of that series with with all the adjustments but that would be the one that I would feel most confident them in but I I guess you could maybe the th- you could just look at the thunder and say they're really young and, and make that argument but I think I would say the wolves if I were going to pick yeah. them to beat one of the top four the thunder you can always it, it it's an easy one to kind of default there I think no matter what I, I haven't thought about those two teams specifically and the thunder are so unique that I don't know. But the Minnesota one, to me, I think of it a different way. I think that the Kings could beat the Wolves because I just don't know if Minnesota could keep up, right? Like, I think that's kind of the way we have to measure Minnesota this season. Their defense is going to be able to provide answers to mostly everybody, even if, yes, McDaniels against him is awkward or you don't want him to have to do that against Fox all 48 minutes, whatever. They also have a barricade at the basket on every single play. So I think their defense would have answers. I just, even if you tell me, okay, the Kings most nights, right, they're averaging 118.2 points per game. Let's say they get, it's 114 against the Wolves. Well, the Wolves are averaging 113 points per game. Right, So it's like, I think that's more the math battle that we're going to see. So that'll be an interesting one too. I would probably pick Minnesota just because they've proven it, but you know, it's a first time playoff team really as well. So we'll have to see. All right. uh, Let's go on to the Orlando magic to wrap up the show. As we conclude waving the flag, Markel Fultz has returned to the lineup. We spent a little bit of time when Fultz, and Carter Jr. started to kind of look like they were going to be back on the ultimate fate of those guys. Why did the team play better without them? You've now started to see, Chris, the Wendell Carter Jr. could be on the trade market rumors begin with Wendell Carter. I'll just ask it this way. Is... Fultz destined for the same fate 
is yes. fold somebody we could see get traded as soon as two weeks from now. I think so, and I, I think it would be with with real merit for them. I I understand the appeal faults before the injury, you know, nine games, so like a very small sample, but was having a really good year as far as not turning the ball over with a good assist percentage on a slightly turned on usage rate. There's something in there that is interesting to me as a player, as a, as a point guard. But as a shooter, as a scorer, he's not really giving what I think they're going to need from whatever their final destination point guard is going to be, Brendan. He's doesn't shoot from three well. He is inefficient from the mid-range aside from last year in the short mid-range and maybe in this year it wasn't off to a good start and he's he's fine at the rim. You know, he's he's good at the rim above average at the rim, but overall his effective field goal percentage is below average for for combo guards and for guards in general. And that's not good enough. I also just don't think the decision making for him and the way he leads an offense, so to speak, is what I really want for them as their final destination point guard. I want them to have someone who can be a little malleable off ball, who can shoot threes a little bit, but also can kind of organize the troops a little bit when you need them to. I think they just need a different energy from the spot. And he and then he has a contract that I would be look that that is a salary at seventeen million. That is, you can do something with. It's not again totally fair to him. But this is what happens when you're team building. It's like you get the guy making $17 million who isn't a perfect fit who has a who's going to be a free agent. Like maybe you trade him and go get someone who tries to find, try to find someone who fits a lot better. And again, this is another team. If cap, like they're going to have cap space in theory. Who are they going to go pay that's like worth it in free to? Why not go try to trade for someone right now that can actually fit with them better and instead of getting back to a quarter and being like, D'Angelo Russell, would you like $20 million? We're in a panic. We need a point guard. Yeah, I think Orlando, even if they used their cap space, it would be much more on like another Joe Ingles type than it would be anything like that. Um because their team's going to get expensive before long. Maybe they want to get one guy kind of locked in before the team gets, you know, the rookie guys start to get maxes off of their, you know, extensions off their rookie deals and whatnot. But to me, it's it's really just about kind of the fit of the roster. And Fultz, I think he's going to have a pretty long career, personally. I mean, if, if yeah. he can stay healthy. And, and that's really the biggest thing. And you can set aside the stuff at the beginning of his career even lately, he has just really struggled to stay on the court, even in Orlando. But I think he can have a long career as a backup point guard. I think kind of where he's slotted in as he's developed and we've gotten to see really what like the the real Markel Fultz is going to be is like a bigger, better passing TJ McConnell. Right? Or like DeJounte Murray who's maybe not as quick and can't shoot threes. Like he is sort of that point guard defender who can set the table, but because he doesn't have that legitimate deep shooting ability and because he's not an overwhelming down to the, you know, downhill to the basket type of guy, that makes him a backup. So I think there is a little bit of pressure to use that contract now for some of the cap reasons we were talking about, some of the future forward-looking financial stuff that we could spend, you know, a whole day breaking down if we wanted to. There's a little bit of pressure to say, like, turn this into something because he's probably not getting $17 million on his next contract. No. So that that chip is going to go away. 
I guess where I would maybe bump up against a little bit, though, if I'm being realistic, is this is the organization that, that kind of saved his career, right? They took a chance on him. They committed to him. They developed him. They trusted him. And they paid him. And so I, I would get it on both sides if there was a little bit of like, we're not going to do that to him type of thing. If he walks in free agency, if it doesn't make sense to be together long term, so be it. But we're not going to like screw him in that way. Is that too precious or do you think that could actually matter here? I think that stuff can matter, but I also just ultimately think that it's, unless you're a star player, it is too precious. I, I think, Brennan, the bigger problem for me in a macro sense is the problem is finding a point guard on this market who actually fits what they need, who fits this team. I can't... On this market, meaning to trade for right now or to sign? Yeah. I think... I mean, for agency, I think, is like a whole other can of worms, but who on this trade market that is a realistically available point guard that they could go get, I think, would you look at as like a really good fit? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen right now. I I don't think they're trading Fultz for another point guard. I think they're just trading Fultz for kind of anything that might help them that has maybe a little bit of a longer runway as an asset because he's about to expire. That's where I look at. I don't think they're going to go Fultz mm-hmm. plus this pick plus that pick and here's our point guard of the future. I, I don't see that either. Yeah, that's that's probably a better way of looking. I also just don't know what what they add would be really interesting and maybe there's like a bigger splash we're not seeing where it's like Fultz and Wendell's numbers together for something more aggressive. But like I, we've talked about this. I don't really love them as like a Levine team. You know, like, and that's not going to make your costs any more sustainable down the line. Like, he's mm-hmm. kind of locked up for a lot of money for a long time. So, I don't really know what the deal even exactly is for them. I th- and they have some other guys out of the rotation. They could also just trade as well if they wanted to just keep Fultz and figure it out later. Like, you could do that and re-sign him. And maybe, like, uh, like it wouldn't shock me if maybe they don't trade him, Brendan. They see how it goes the rest of this year. They re-sign him for lesser money over three years and... You revisit this again in a year. You just kind of punt the conversation on a run a ride this year. That wouldn't be like a bad GMing to me, even. That would make some sense. I think it'd be pretty practical considering I don't... Going all in too early or doing something too aggressive at the wrong time when it's not exactly the right thing wouldn't make sense to me if that's the path they wanted to go. It's kind of surprised me that they haven't come up in the DeJounte Murray rumor mill, personally. I think they could also just maybe if we are talking about free agency, are they the team that signs Tyus Jones? Yeah, I, I would it. like to tie. I would like, I mean, even just them, like you, I think Tyus is making like, I don't remember how much he's making, but like Chumo Kiki and some other salaries. Like, I think get him now. Sure. I think, uh, Terry Rogier is going to have suitors among contenders, but he would have been oh. a, a somewhat of a fun fit. $14 million for Tyus, by the way. Terry Rozier, by the way, in some of the latest reporting, has a strong desire to go to the Miami Heat. I was like, oh, yeah. sure. Shock, shocked by that one, Terry. <laughs> what a take. You want to live on South Beach and play with like the best organization in the league. You know, Welcome to the party. Wouldn't everybody like that? But you know what I was thinking? And this would just be leaning into the full chaos of Orlando. This really isn't a Fultz thing so much as just who would be kind of their lead playmaker down the line. And it would be definitely like multiplying the weirdness of that that already is here on their roster. So maybe it's not the the right answer, but I would love if our expectations about a, a team at the top of the West were to come true and a trade were to happen to 
kind of break apart that team, that the Magic would swoop in and be the permanent long-term home of Josh Kitty. Mm. Mm. I don't hate that. I don't hate that, Brendan. It is bold. It is funky. But it keeps them within the big like energy that they like to have. Like I thought about this team as like I I like your inspire and move here because my thought was maybe is this like a Trey Young team in six months? But this is like if he wants to go to uh, if he wants to go to if he's fine going to San Antonio as some of the you know rumors would indicate then I I would think Orlando's at least on par. You're talking about a couple of cities that players don't seem to love but you know if Trey's open to one I think he'd be open to the other I mean I just think like this team is we've talked about it before like this is Paolo and Franz's team and I think if you're getting to a point where you don't think that those guys are good enough one I don't think you're going to make that decision soon enough for a Trey Young trade this upcoming summer which is part of why I don't think that they're going to spend their cap space is they just still need to see what this team is but if you don't think those guys are good enough, you're probably screwed already trying to yeah. get somebody better than those two without trading those two. That's not probably feasible. But I like Giddy for the point you made of he, he keeps them big, but he also uh, has a little more passing acumen and, and kind of, you know, IQ and not like the other guys are selfish, but he's selfless to like the nth degree he's just one of those dudes who could shoot four times in a game and be thrilled like a ricky rubio type so i think he could really work there but yeah i mean we'll see what fultz does i think he might you know defensively i I mean he's probably at least about what anthony black has been for them right so i don't think he's going to be some sort of like anchor and bring down the team but i just think long term it's probably not a fit and contract wise i wouldn't be surprised if we hear his name on the uh if the next Jake Fisher article says on the topic of the Orlando Magic, they've explored a uh, Markel Fultz deal, um, that would not surprise me. But that will wrap us up for this week's Just Basketball show. We are like three weeks from trade deadline season, so we will have more slop, surely, maybe even another trade. By the next time we talk, we will have to check out the new look Raptors and get a little bit of their perspective on this Pascal Siakam move. Boston, Denver, we're definitely going to be talking about the next time. So enjoy the hoops. Subscribe and follow if you have not already. And we will talk to you next week.